Thank you. Uh, thanks, team, as well, for leading us before. And I'm looking forward to, to afterwards also. Uh, we do have a really great and wonderful and amazing God, and it's my privilege over the next few moments to try to uh, present and help you understand uh, just some of the, the gloriousness, the greatness, the, the majesty of our King Jesus. I know we can't possibly hope to do that in like 25 minutes. Um, we're, we're looking through the book of Hebrews or at least concentrating in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, I'm gonna be preaching out of Hebrews 10 tonight, which gives you this picture of the grandeur and the greatness of our King Jesus. And so um, let's, get, let's get stuck into it. We're gonna, we got a lot to cover and a small amount of time. We're gonna try to talk about the gloriousness of our King Jesus. Again, 25 minutes, it's a, it's a big ask. This is Hebrews 10, obviously there are nine chapters that have come before, speaking about Jesus as our high priest, Jesus as our King, Jesus as the perfect one, Jesus as the thing that all of the Old Testament, all of the prophets and the law had been pointing to, had been foreshadowing, had been promising, uh, were all to be fulfilled in this one person. Let me get to chapter 10, is what it says. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the reality itself of those things. It can never perfect the worshippers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. So we'll get into the weeds a little bit with these, with these sacrifices. Hebrews, one of the other things, man, you find in the book of Hebrews. This is, I promise you, this has been in your Bible your entire life, this chapter. You'll read it tonight. You'll be like, oh my goodness. Uh, Hebrews is full of these earthly pictures of heavenly, heavenly realities. So we see, oh, there's priests on earth and just a picture of the greater high priest who was to come and who did come in Jesus. Uh, the, the tabernacle, the temple is this like earthly shadow of the throne room of heaven. And so you, you see all these shadows and the, the, the law and the sacrifices was a shadow of this heavenly reality that was to come. Otherwise, the writer of Hebrews goes on, they wouldn't have stopped being offered these sacrifices since the worshippers purified once and for all would no longer have any conscience, consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And I know what you're thinking, it's Saturday night, we're talking about the blood of bulls and goats. Uh, but it's important. In, in everything that had come before Jesus, uh, in fact, not just in the, the culture of the people of God, but in many cultures, People would try to appease their gods, like try to get their attention, try to stroke their egos, try to please them, try to curry favour with them by sacrificing animals, uh, sacrificing, I mean, all kinds of even abhorrent things in, in many cultures. Year after year after year, these sacrifices for the Jewish people, people were a reminder that they had this separation between them and God. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, man, these, these sacrifices couldn't take away sins. They're just a reminder. And so year after year after year after year, these priests would stand up because their work was never finished. They're always on their feet, always offering these sacrifices. Are you reminded year after year of our inability to reach up to God with our good works? And he goes on, therefore, as he was coming into the world, Jesus, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me, like a physical, the body, his, his own body. He did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. You got all these other cultures trying to, you know, they, they had some understanding that there is this thing that is other. 
and, and is greater than them. And they're trying to get its attention, like, please, would you notice me by sacrificing things? Or, or even, I'm sorry, I understand my flaws and failures and deficiencies. And so here, here is this bull or goat or dove or something to try to help you, like, you know, cast your displeasure onto it and your pleasure onto me. But God didn't delight in any of these sacrifices. Then I said, Brother Hebrews continues, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire delight in sacrifices and offering, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. Jesus' goal in coming to earth is to obediently do the will of the Father in becoming in his own body the sacrifice to do away with sin and to do away with all sacrifice for sin. And we're, just, we're putting a foundation here to get to the glorious, the gloriousness. I mean, this is glorious in its own right. By this will, Jesus' will to do the will of the Father, to in His own body become the sacrifice. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now for me, again, this has been in your Bible your whole life. This is one of the most amazing, like phenomenal pictures of something that actually happened in history. Can you imagine it? We just sung a little bit about it before. The throne room of heaven. Jesus has come. He has done the one time for all time sacrifice for sin. There's no more sacrifices. There's not, the, the work of salvation is actually finalised on that cross. And the resurrected Jesus has come back victorious over death and over the grave. Now imagine you're in the throne room, right? You're waiting. You know Jesus has done it. And the seraphim and the cherubim are gathered around the throne and they are bowing down and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over and over and over and over and over again. And just this expectancy, like the King is coming back. And then all of a sudden, two like nail-pierced hands push open this throne room as the conquering King of Heaven walks to His throne. And the, the, the angels are, are falling down. Holy, holy, holy. And King Jesus, the glorious, conquering, majestic King of the universe, he goes up to his throne and he sits down. Because his work is finished. For me, like, like again, this, this actually happened. This must have been one of the most phenomenal things to have ever occurred. I mean, that whole week, right, would have been a phenomenal week. Um, and he's the king of, of all glory.
with still the evidence of His sacrifice in His own body, but now resurrected body. And it even says, the, the very next line, it says this. Uh, he is now waiting until His enemies are made His footstool. And so not only is His, his disposition of someone who's sitting is someone who is at rest, right? But someone who has a footstool, I don't have a footstool, you're just gonna have to imagine it, is, is like someone who is, who is reclining. This is Jesus' disposition towards His finished work of salvation. It is done, folks. It is finished. The King is seated in all of His glory. And those same angels who cried, holy, 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 um, their voices are now mingled with our voices as we, as we join in the chorus of the throne room of heaven and cry out, holy, holy, holy. For by one offering, He has perfected those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them in those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Like again, there's no more, there's no more striving for forgiveness. There is no, there's no more sacrifice that has been done away with by Jesus one time for all time sacrifice. So that there's, and not just like we might think, you know, look back anachronistically at cultures who would sacrifice lambs and goats and think, oh man, that's, that's like savage. But, but we like to try to make our own sacrifices to gain the attention of God or to try to appease God. If the blood of bulls can't do that, none of our sacrifices can do that. And Jesus, came, Jesus said, I do not require sacrifices. I require mercy. See, this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days. The Lord says, I'll put my law in their heart, write them on their minds, and I'll never again remember their sins. It means that there's now no more barrier between us and God. The priest, the writer Hebrews mentions, is always on his feet because there's always more work to be done. There's always more reminders of your sin. But now whenever we're reminded of our sin, we just remember that. We have a God who is seated in His work of salvation. The sacrifice is done. As if, we, as if we could strive and do any kind of righteous works to try to get God's attention apart from Christ. Um, all of that is foolishness anyway, and, we, and it can't do it. And the good news is we don't need to do it. It's been done. And we're trying to earn God's love you have God's love. Am I trying to earn God's favour? You have God's favour. No more, no more striving to get God's attention. Don't you understand? He, he is so intimately involved in your life. He loves you so greatly, not, not, not because He has to, because of what Jesus has done. He sent Jesus because of His love for you. We've got, to, we've got to know this thing. So what does it mean for us? He goes and he finishes this thought. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, we no longer enter timidly anymore. 
We're no longer, we're not obsequious with God. We're not like trying to like grovel. We're not limping, like limping to God and saying, oh God, I, I grovel before you because I am so, so bad. Would you please look upon me in your kindness? Uh, we go in boldly. We go in not, not boldly because, not arrogantly because we're awesome. Not because we have achieved anything. Uh, not because in our own right, we, God would, you know, oh wow, Don's coming to see me today. I must get dressed, like put on my good clothes. Uh, no, it's nothing like that. Uh, we come in the full confidence through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through His flesh. So by His own sacrifice, perfect and finished sacrifice, He is the way. And now we have full boldness to go into that throne, the same room where the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. We are called brothers and sisters of the Most High King, sons and daughters of the Father through Jesus. This is the most wondrous thing. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since He who promises faithful and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So now what do we do? What, what, in, in light of the resurrected King Jesus in His glory, in His finished work of salvation, seated on the throne, reclining in His work of salvation, what are we to do? We are to draw near to Him. Boldly because of what Jesus has done. The writer says, hold on to hope because He is faithful. We don't trust in the quality of our own faith. Like I, I, if I just had a big enough faith, but in the capacity of the faithfulness of God. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand. It's what the Spirit wants us to know. It's not about how tightly you can cling on to God. It's about how tightly God is already clinging on to you. It's His faithfulness. God's love for you isn't determined by how well you're doing day to day or how you feel day to day. God's love doesn't waver like our love can waver or our feelings can waver, like our affections can waver. God's affections aren't like that. Since He who promised is faithful, is the line. You don't judge God's love for you by how well you're doing. You don't, you don't judge God's love for you by the ease of your circumstance or how good things seem to be going for you, but by the price He paid to purchase you for Himself. If you're ever wondering, does God love me? We just look to Jesus. Does, you know, I have a terrible day, feel really down, feel like a failure as a worker, as a son, as a father, as a husband, uh, you, you as a wife, as a member of a community, as a member of whatever community you're a part of. You might feel like an absolute abject failure. And you wonder, does God love me? And the answer is, look to Jesus. He is faithful. What else do you say? Uh, we respond by drawing near to Him, resting in His faithfulness. 
and we are to provoke one another. This, I mean, when I think of the word provoke, I think about, I've got two young sons and they provoke each other, uh, not to love and to good works, uh, but to like, you know, it's kind of like poking them in the ribs and those kinds of things. That, that is the same kind of frustrate one another to good works. Frustrate one another to love. But frustrate, obviously, we don't mean, we don't mean to like have a go at them, um, but to, to agitate, to, to exercise, to, to have lives that bump up against one another with all social distancing, but bump up against one another in such a way that we would, in response to what God has done, not to try to sacrifice to get Him to love us, but in light of His love, which is already displayed for us, we can provoke one another and say, let's love one another. Let's get about the business of doing these good deeds that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. He goes on, don't stop meeting together. I mean, we, we didn't stop tonight because of COVID. We're just meeting in a different kind of way. I also wanna encourage you, don't use COVID as an excuse to withdraw from community, especially the community of faith. It's not, it's not, it's not supplementary to your relationship with Jesus. It's foundation, like it's, it's a part of it. It's a thing that you are called to and into as belonging in the family of Jesus. It says, encourage one another. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Which means we don't, based on our day or our affection or even our failures or even if we're doing really well, we don't waver in our hope, but we cling to our hope. Not that it's our, again, not that it's our clinging that does the work, but since He who promised is faithful, again, the writer of Hebrews is very careful to over and over and over and over again point us to Jesus, point us to the King, point us to our great high priest. And then he goes and he finishes this chapter uh, by, by saying, now that you are holy, now that you have been set apart by Jesus, for Jesus, now pursue holiness. Now that you're holy, go and be holy. Not, not to earn your salvation, again, Jesus is sitting on, in His work in salvation, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting on the throne, reclining in His work of salvation. Guys, there is no more work of salvation to be done in, in that sense. There's no more striving to get God to love you. But because you have been gifted holiness, go be holy. Not to make yourself new, but because you are new. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't look back. Don't go back to your old ways. Draw near to God. Draw near to your Father. Draw near to the Holy One of Heaven. If you, if you have like a good imagination, you can picture that throne room. Uh, for many, that might be a very um, like awe-inspiring thing, even a, a fear-provoking thing. What a, what a magnificent and just holy other God we have. How big and majestic and I can't even put it into words how, how phenomenal our God is. And that is a, it's a sobering thought that we can go to this God, the one who like breathes and galaxies have to form, have to obey Him. Um, and yet, this writer of Hebrews reminds us, the Spirit reminds us, uh, we go in as children of the Father. 
brothers and sisters of the King. It's who who you are now if you're in Christ. What I'm keen for us to do is, uh, for many of you, I know you will have been um, running from God, even though you still might be doing all of the things, still might be going to church, still might be singing the songs, you might be raising the hands, uh, and internally you actually, you feel further and further and further away from God. Uh, what, what the Spirit is, I think, speaking to us tonight, especially just as we read, again, this has been in your Bibles your whole life. What the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to do is to run to God, not from Him. You're running away because you're fearful. You're running away because you want to cling to your sin and not to the one who is faithful. You're running away because you think your sin is too great for God to love you. You think, well, it's okay for those people and what they have done, but if you knew what I had done, uh, you would know that it's too great. Uh, But the reality is the King has already done the work. One sacrifice for all. He is the perfect one. He is able and He is faithful and He is calling you to Him now. Uh, Stop running. Run to to Him. Don't don't stop running. Stop running away from Him. Draw near to Him. Uh, This is true for, I mean, everybody here, everybody uh, watching at home, everyone watching later, how you doing from the past? Um, Draw near to God. He's done, he has done all, the, all of the work in Christ. That's it for me. Let me pray and uh, we'll move on. Father God, I, I am so thankful for you, for your love. You're so good to us. We, uh, we just don't deserve it. We look at, we, we would rightly say we don't deserve your love. And we know this. Uh, some experience it more, more deeply than others, but Lord, may we all have a a proper understanding of who we are to you without Christ. But that we are not your enemies any longer because of what Jesus has done. Father, what we are hopeful for is that um, everything we read and we know to be true uh, has happened and will happen that as angels fall before you because of your grandeur and your majesty and your, the wondrousness of you, of who you are, that we too join in, but not as, again, not as your enemies and not as strangers, but as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. Father, for everyone who's uh, listening right now, my hope is that, if I would you speak to them by your Holy Spirit, through your scriptures, by your spirit even now, helping them to understand your, your love for them has overcome their sin in Christ, even as Jesus has overcome death in His resurrection. We love you. Um, help us, now that we are holy in you, to pursue holy lives. In Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thanks, guys.